Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnata, with you guys as always. And tonight, it is Zach Hubbard joining us for the first time in a while, guys. We are looking at the Tar Heel recruiting trail, and specifically tonight, looking at the commitment of 2022 four-star running back, George Petaway, and what it means for this Tar Heel team. And first of all, Zach, it's been a little bit since uh, you've been on the podcast, man. I've been hanging in there. Uh, we've gotten this season off and rolling in college football. Yeah, it's been good. I, we've been sort of waiting to see when some of these uh, dominoes on the recruiting trail would fall in season. And, you know, it seems like we're starting to see some of these moves being made. Right, yeah. And I think we're going to start to see uh, some other major guys, especially from the state of Virginia, that are going to be making their decisions coming up soon, sort of following the footsteps of George Petaway. And we'll talk about those guys coming up a little bit later. But let's focus on the four-star running back commit that the Tar Heels just landed in this class. Uh, he is now officially the second highest ranked player for the Tar Heels in the 2022 class. Uh, the Tarios landed his commitment on Wednesday night, uh, and 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 Petaway, an extremely talented player inside the top 100 nationally, according to 24/7 Composite Sports Rankings. Uh, they have him uh, as the 98th player in the country, the number seven overall running back in the country. And uh, you know, when you look at George Petaway, uh, I, I think this is a guy that uh, Carolina really, really likes in this class because it's. Uh, a great, a great, uh, you know, second back to add alongside of a guy in Amari and Hampton that uh, will probably be, bring a little bit of the boom. This is a guy that's uh, going to bring the speed and, and quickness element uh, to the Stario backfield. Yeah, absolutely. As we've discussed, sort of, um, when looking at the 2022 running backs that North Carolina has committed in this class, you know, we, we sort of looked at this. Um, particular pairing of Amari Hampton and George Petway as 
um, probably I would, I would some would say the ideal pairing in this class, uh, and certainly a complementary pairing, and one that we compared to you know uh, a, a duo of running backs that Carolina fans would know very well in uh, Michael Carter and Javante Williams. You really look at sort of the uh, play styles here, and it, it's two very different play styles uh, that they both employ. As you mentioned, Hampton more of that stronger power back, a guy that's going to you know make one cut and go up the field and break tackles. And then you've got a guy like Petway that's more of that speedster, like you mentioned, really, really good receiving back, and a guy that um, w- w- was quite popular on the uh, camp trail. If you look there, um, he was a guy that went to multiple camps, whether that be um, you know Under Armour or Rivals or anything along those lines. This was a guy that was all over the place, and he was always competing, and he was always shining. It seems like it, it for those that go to some of those recruiting web, websites and look at these reports that people go through or watch film, if you, if you see it on social media, um, this was a guy that was you know, very, very efficient, uh, specifically in one-on-one situations, whether that be just drills or seven-on-seven work, things like that. I mean... George Petway is a weapon, and I, I think he's a very good fit um, for the Phil Longo offense, for an offense that likes to spread the ball around, that likes to pass to running backs um, in space on the perimeter, but also up the field. Uh, guys running, you know, true real real routes to space and catching the football and sort of moving there. So it, it, it's hard to find a better fit at the running back position uh, with the offense and the scheme that North Carolina wants to run, uh, then you'd find with a running back like George Petway. Yeah, no, I think that he's a guy that's really going to be able to thrive in in this Phil Longo offense, as you were saying. Uh, his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield is is about as good as you're going to see from a running back in this class. Uh, he's a very solid route runner, uh, not just a guy that's going to be able to help you out with screen plays and things like that. Um, but yeah, his speed in the open field is just crazy. I mean, you turn on his film, I mean, this guy can run away from just about anybody. Um, I think the, the concern that most people would probably look at with him is the level of competition. Uh, the league that he plays in, it's an independent league in Virginia. It's not the greatest competition that he faces, but to me, it's really not all that concerning because when you look at guys that are on that type of level, you're looking for guys that simply dominate pretty much every time that they have the football in their hands. And this is exactly what he does. I mean, look, he's in the middle of his senior year, and this is his fifth year of high school football. I believe that he played as an eighth grader. Uh, He has just shy of 4,500 total yards of offense in that time. Um, He jumped onto the scene as a freshman and immediately was producing. I mean, this has been an all-conference player since the minute that he stepped on a high school field. Um, so there are, there to me, there's not really a big reason to be concerned with him at all. Um, and look, I mean, the speed is fantastic. You don't see it as much in his tape from the spring and, and, and early on this season. Now, you see a little bit of it, but if you go back and watch his 2019 tape, uh, that, that one being a little, that it's 
a little more extensive. He put some more things uh, out there, and he is an extremely shifty player as well in the open field. He can make multiple defenders miss, and I think that's what Tariel fans are going to like because, you know, first couple of games of this season, as we saw before Carolina got on track against Virginia, you saw a guy in Ty Chandler that we, you know, heard could make guys miss in the open field could also run through defenders and when he wasn't able to pick up those yards after contact he simply wasn't as effective as Carolina needed him to be so getting a guy like Petaway who can make guys miss in the open field with how shifty he is and then you're combining that with Amari and Hampton uh, is is something that uh, you, you should really be thrilled with um you know, when, when the other thing, you know, I think some people will look at him and say, you know, even with Michael Carter, there was a little bit of an edge that he ran with. You don't really see that a lot from Petaway, but I feel like uh, there's still, you know, uh, that that's something that he can add if he needs to. But I, I don't know about you, Zach. I feel like this is something that Carolina can definitely use in the backfield uh, over the next couple of years because I think you do have other guys back there that combine that have that solid combination of uh, of speed and power as Caleb Hood does, and then of course I think Amari and Hampton fits that as well. So to me, I think having a guy like this that is really going to be able to help you catching the ball out of the backfield but mainly is going to be that speed back that can really, really cause trouble for guys in the open field. I think that'll be a welcome addition to uh, a Tario backfield that hasn't really had a speed demon in the backfield in, in a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think two things that you want to look at there. The first thing being uh, North Carolina, um, both under Matt Brown and so long as the offensive coordinator, and before that, is not looking to be a you know a bell cow one back team, and most of the college football is not looking to be that way anymore. Running backs by committee, having two to three to even four guys that you're sort of splitting your carries in between to keep guys fresh, uh, to not you know get a wear and tear, not have these guys wear down in the fourth quarter. Um, that you saw that with Carter and Williams, like we mentioned, you saw that when Antonio Williams was involved in that group. Yeah. If, if Tar Heel fans would look back, you know, maybe a year or two beforehand, it was considered a trio for a good while. And you'd see sort of Antonio Williams as this third running back often in uh, similar short yard situations to what we saw Javante Williams do early in his career. Um, but with that, another thing that you want to look at is just having weapons in your offense. I mean, you look at the top college offenses every year. You look at teams that are making the playoff. They're doing it with weapons on offense. They're doing it at guys that you can point at and say, this guy is going to be an issue for us. But, you know, you see a lot of young people these days say, that guy's a problem. Well, that's that's how offenses are really constructed these days. It's finding guys that are not unstoppable of course but are really really hard to plan for and scheme for defensively without leaving something else open um, we, we're sort of seeing this emergence right now on the field with a guy like Josh Downs mm -hmm. as sort of this speedy option at the wide receiver position that has at this point has played enough has shown in his ability that he's going to be someone that defenses are going to key in on moving forward and that's going to open up everyone else we saw this in uh, 2020 with the uh, with the team. When you have 
you know, a very, very consistent and multifaceted running game. When you have those different styles of running backs, such as Michael Carter and Javante Williams, it really opens up what you can do in that passing game as well because it's, it's a part of your offense that uh, the opposing team has to respect. It opens up, you know, space for guys like Daz Newsom. It opens up space for Deami Brown. Antoine Green. It opens up space for Bo Corrales. So, you know, it, it, it's really, it can be underrated at times, um, especially when you look at a, 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 you know, a football culture in the modern times that sort of leans towards the pass game. But having this sort of multi-skilled, multi-faceted running game uh, is really, really an effective weapon. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's something that the staff has been focusing on for a while. I think that was probably their original plan when they came in, just looking, uh, you know, when Mac Brown made the comparison, I think it was in his intro presser, maybe a couple of weeks after he had taken the job in Chapel Hill. Uh, he said, look, we want this to be somewhat like the offense that you see at Oklahoma. And one of the things that Oklahoma has done so great over the years is that they can roll in multiple backs. Um, there might be a guy that receives more carries because he's just playing that well. Um, and we're sort of seeing that a little bit this year with Ty Chandler. But at any time, they can put in another guy back there in the backfield and have the same amount of success, and it really won't be uh, that big of a drop off in terms of what they're what, what they're getting out there. I think this is what's interesting, though, is that right now a lot of the guys that Carolina has in the backfield are relatively similar players. Um, I think you know Caleb Wood probably is a little more of a hard nosed runner than Ty Chandler or DJ Jones, but I think Ty Chandler and D DJ Jones are pretty comparative. Um, I think Josh Henderson is probably pretty comparable to uh, what we see from Caleb Hood, maybe on just a little lesser level. Whereas this is sort of giving you that 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 trade off of a guy that's going to run physically has you know some decent speed. He can't really be slow anymore. They don't really have those guys that are just specialists in the red zone, aka Ryan Houston. Not many of those guys are out there anymore. Um, so that's not you no know, Hampton. You know Hampton's not a slow guy, but he's going to provide a little bit of an edge. Him and maybe Kamaro Edmonds, who's currently on campus as a true freshman. But then you're going to get a guy in George Petaway who this this is the area I think where it it really helps Carolina the most is that we've seen it over the last couple of years. Uh, Carolina ha has had moments where it's looked like they're going to break off some of these really huge gainers. And, I mean, you'll see Michael Carter, you know, if you go back and watch some of the games from last year, you know, 25, 30 yards, but he could never really seem to break off those huge touchdown runs. I think this is what George Petaway is going to bring to the table for Carolina is that he's going to be able to hit these multiple times throughout a season. It won't just be one burst. Carolina is looking for that home run threat in the backfield that you can give it to and count on multiple times a year seeing him run past defenses into the end zone to potentially you know, make game-changing plays. And I think that's what Carolina is excited about. And as you mentioned, this is the duo that everybody was eyeing up in this class. There were other guys that Carolina was pursuing, um, in, including a couple of guys in state. But I think in in most people's minds, they wanted Amari and Hampton out of the state of North Carolina. They got him, and after that, 
they set their eyes on Petaway, who was the main target in this class, I think, from the beginning. Um, I think the one other thing that you've got to talk about when you talk about this commitment is that Carolina's dominance in Virginia in this class just continues. And you may say, well, they've got five commits from the state. Is that really that dominant? Yes, yes, it definitely is, considering the fact that three of the top ten players in the state of Virginia right now are currently committed to Carolina. The top two remaining uncommitted players in the class are very high on Carolina at this point. Some people would probably at this point have Carolina as the favorites for both. And then you also went into the state and got two other really solid players inside of the top 20, including a guy that was a Virginia Tech legacy. When you look at the dominance in the state of Virginia, Zach, I mean, it, it, how how impressed are you by how well this staff is 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 doing there, and how much credit do you think has to go uh, to Dre Bly for his uh, ability to recruit in that seven five seven, and really just the state of Virginia overall? Yeah, and uh, with that, I, I do think just to echo your point, North Carolina has been excellent in the state of Virginia. One could argue. Maybe not in numbers per se, but just in the quality of talent. Um, they've been about as good getting kids from the state of Virginia as they have from North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Just on a, you know, what are these, what, what are the high end players that you're getting from either state coming out to be? And you, you, you look at a lot of these Virginia kids that they're getting, they are blue chip prospects. They're guys that are being courted nationally. Um, George Pedway certainly was, just to, you know, keep the focus on him here. Um, the answer sort of your second question, Dre Bly is absolutely huge here. And if you look at where specifically in Virginia that they're getting a lot of these kids from, it's from the Tidewater area. It's from the area where Dre Bly's name carries so much weight. Obviously, not all of these guys are going to be quarterbacks. They're not going to all be at Dre Bly's position, but his name carries weight and then sort of opens the door uh, for the rest of the staff to really still build those relationships. But you know, it, it's just it's a great first pitch to say I'm Jay Bly and I endorse North Carolina because that name means so much in that region um, and, and I think that Dre personally he's an energetic guy I think that he really connects with the kids that he recruits very well I, I think he real, really builds a true bond there with him and I think that pays dividends uh, just, just overall at a you know, 50,000 foot view I think that North Carolina in the ACC specifically and more nationally growing has obviously we saw the preseason buzz uh, for what this team was going to be on the field but there is a a sort of buzz specifically in the recruiting world of this is a team that you have to take serious I mean that's multiple years now that we have seen North Carolina get high rated guys get top 100 players get five stars from both in and out of the home state of North Carolina but, but you see them in a lot of these, you know, in, in more and more top 10, the top 15, even top fives, even for kids that they don't get, you see North Carolina as a school that is, you know, being considered, maybe not equally, but, you know, it, it's it's not one that it is excluded from being at the same range as your Alabama's, Clemson's, Georgia's, Ohio State schools of that caliber that we consider to be these perennial playoff powers. So I would say North Carolina is doing great in Virginia. Dre Bly is a huge part of that. And I think just as a brand, North Carolina is at one of the highest points that it's been at really as long as I can remember. 
Oh, no doubt. I mean, especially in the modern recruiting era, I know, you know, some people will look and, and say the Butch Davis era had, you know, some really historic classes as well. And, and I agree with that. And I think Butch Davis did a tremendous job. But going into the state of Virginia, I think is is huge because, first of all, you're getting some extremely talented players uh, out of the state. I mean, yeah, you went back there, you know, back in the day and, and the talent there was fantastic. It hasn't dropped off any since then. Uh, if, if anything, it's honestly gotten even a little bit better. Um, and for Carolina to go out there and do as much damage as they have is, is amazing. Uh, and at the same time, it kind of makes you wonder, especially considering how close to Chapel Hill, the Tidewater area actually is, even compared to the teams in state, uh, why Carolina didn't recruit that area better, uh, especially under Larry Fedora. But I, I mean... Yeah, you can't really say enough about what Dre Bly has done to go into that area. I mean, every recruit from that area, it seems like Dre Bly is involved pretty heavily on. So, I mean, even though, yeah, he isn't coaching them at their position group, this is a guy that, you know, these guys know that when they get on campus, they can go to, and and they know that he's a guy that's going to do everything that he possibly can to try to help them out because he comes from the same areas that they do. He knows the challenges of coming from that area and you know what it's like to be you know away from home and 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 have to drive as far as they do to have to get back home at times so uh, I think that that's a very interesting dynamic and you know he's a guy that I think is just so relatable to some of these guys on the recruiting trail that uh, it's it's no wonder that it's actually paying off for him and and allowing this team to have a lot of success and uh, look the Tar Heels are you know not done in the state of Virginia we're going to talk about those guys here in just a second but um, I, I think that that's going to be an area where they're going to keep hitting up over the next couple of years. Uh, I think, you know, the 23 class in states, it, it, it's really huge. It, uh, once again, because you've got a ton of talent in the 23 class. This was, you know, the 22 class was a little bit slow for the state of North Carolina. It still had some really good prospects, but uh, not quite as talent laden as 21 and then as 23 are going to be. But this is the thing that's, you, you're really, really like to see with Carolina that they can pretty much look at a state inside of their footprint and if they're having an elite season in terms of the amount of recruits that are coming out, Carolina can go in, sort of set their feet there, and do the damage that they need to do. And I think you're right. On a national scale, I think people have known that Carolina has been coming for a little while now. I think now the question is, is do people look at Carolina as having at least arrived on the recruiting side of things? Because there's a legitimate chance that if Carolina lands the targets that they're eyeing up right now, and, 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 and if they could add another one in there that's maybe unexpected at this point, this could be a top 10 class. Carolina has done all the work to get themselves in position to do that. And that is, I think at that point, that's where you have to start taking Carolina seriously and, and looking at them as as someone that could be a outside contender for the playoff year in and year out just because of the amount of talent that will be on campus. So we're going to take a look at those guys in the state of Virginia, but real quick, I uh, wanted to tell you about our sponsor, DraftKings. Uh, week two of football is in the books, and now it is time to review the tape and get ready for week three of the NFL season with DraftKings Sports. 
Sportsbooks, an official betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. If your sportsbook in your state is not yet available, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contest. Uh, listen up because you don't want to miss this. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TPPN to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any fantasy game. That's promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbooks, an official betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only, minimum $5 deposit, and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbooks for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. That's 1-800-9-WITH-IT. So let's move on and talk about some of the other guys that Carolina's still got out there on, uh, you know, in terms of the two. 2022 trail, uh, some of the guys that they still are targeting at this point. And the most significant guys are still in the state of Virginia. As I mentioned, Carolina is uh, right in the thick of the running for the two guys that are still uncommitted in the state of Virginia inside of the top 10. And right now, I think most people would look at both of these guys and think Carolina is probably in the driver's seat. Let's start with a guy that's probably the least talked about of the group right now. That is Andre Green Jr. And that's really just because he hasn't really been doing a whole lot of anything in terms of his recruitment. His season has started. He's kind of focusing on that. Um, But Carolina is still pushing hard to try to land his commitment. I think it's become very obvious at this point that this is Carolina's lone remaining target at wide receiver in the class. I know that there was, you know, that belief that if Carolina needed to, they could probably try to turn the heat back up on Shalik Knotts and that eventually they could potentially flip his commitment. I think with what Andre Green Jr. is doing here by sort of, you know, pushing this recruitment about as far as he can, I really think that it's going to come down to either landing him or not for Carolina. But the good news is, is that it looks like the Tar Heels are still in a pretty solid spot. What do you think, uh, Zach, about Andre Green Jr. at this point where he stands with the Tar Heels? And uh, what do you think about uh, the, the wide receiver class as a whole? Do you think that it's pretty much green or, or bust uh, here in the 22 cycle? I think uh, to sort of go in reverse order, is Green the only target? I'd say probably yes at this point, unless there is you know one of those guys that sort of blossoms onto the scene after a great senior year or um, you know great performance at an All American game or something like that. I think for the most part, Andre Green is your primary target, and he's been the primary target for a while. Even as there were other names on the board, this has been the guy that they've been. They want to see what he does first before they take anyone else. Um, looking just at his overall recruitment, uh, he did name a top six, which includes Clemson, North Carolina, Georgia, Penn State, Oregon, and LSU. Uh, his recruitment has been quiet. He hasn't really made uh, any, if any, visit that I know of in the fall so far. He made three official visits over the summer to uh 
Georgia, North Carolina, and Oregon in that order. They're in June. Uh, so still has two official visits. If I had to guess at two locations that might go to in the fall, if he does end up making those visits, it would probably be Clemson and Penn State. But uh, based on recent recording and conversations um, that recruit, other recruiting outlets have had with Andre, you know, it, it, it's really sort of seemed like he's been uncommittal in terms of what the plan is. It seems, you know, maybe he keeps it up and makes these official visits. Maybe he, you know, does a few. They might be unofficial visits. Maybe he just goes ahead and commits somewhere. So it, it seems like, at the very least, this is not his primary focus. Recruiting is not his primary focus right now. It's something either that he just doesn't want to think about, you know, with the season ongoing and with the school year ongoing, or it's something that um, you might want to get out of the way. So it, it, it's really difficult to say without a hard and fast timeline. In terms of this, you know, top six, um, LSU, I don't think he's visited there, and I they're not having a great start to their season. So um, while there is sort of that mystique of playing at a program that went to the national championship and won in the past uh, two to three years and just playing in the SEC. I don't think that they're really too much of a contender. Visited Oregon, um, but then there's always the factor of distance there. I've not heard a ton about them. Uh, so it's really these top four schools, if there's even a top four, uh, you know, Penn State, Georgia, Clemson, North Carolina. And I think it is still, as we've mentioned multiple times, mm-hmm. a Clemson and North Carolina battle. In terms of what each of those two schools have going for them, Clemson, obviously, you look at the national championship and playoff pedigree. You look at what they've produced at the wide receiver position over the past few years. And, you know, they have a good recruiting class. They recruit well. They're often in for these type of guys, uh, specifically wide receivers. But if you look at the makeup of their team, and this is sort of a you know, an on-the-field thing for Clemson to think about. Uh, when you look at their wide receivers and how their offense is functioning this year, uh, they're playing three guys that are all 6'3", 6'4", and over. Um, and they're playing uh, Justin Ross, who's returning from injury. Most people will remember that name from uh, 2018 and 19. He's returning from injury, and they have him at 6'4", playing in the slot. So they don't really have sort of these shorter, speedier options that they feel comfortable with playing with right now and if you look at the rest of their roster in terms of the makeup they've got guys like EJ Williams he's 6'3", 6'4", Aju Aju he's 6'3", 6'4". They're sort of missing this short speedy slot wide receiver right now and Andre Green really doesn't fit that mold. Now maybe he wants to go and just be part of that group but at the same point there's not really a you know specific role not only from a playing time perspective, but just he's not what Clemson needs right now, point blank, in mm-hmm. terms of what they need schematically. Not saying that he's not a good player. We certainly think he's a good player. And there's some people that think that he's a top 50 to five-star player. Uh, but th- there is sort of that framework going against them right now that they don't have you know, complementary pieces. And they've not had good offensive performances within the first three weeks. Um, if you look at the advantages for North Carolina or disadvantages, obviously, we've sort of discussed North Carolina has this growing pedigree, but they're not quite at you know the level of these playoff teams as of yet. But obviously, great life factors in there, as we've mentioned, just as this guy that you know it is is a 
high-quality recruiter within Virginia. You look at the proximity to, to home. It's closer to home than Clemson. Um, you look at the high-powered offense. Um, for Tario fans on the field, they may not have liked the product that they saw in week one. Uh, but certainly the performance against Virginia sort of rectified those concerns. And we've seen this offense produce for you know, you know the majority of the season uh, year after year under Matt Brown. So there's not really a concern about is the offense, even if it has issues, is it is it going to be functional? And that answer is yes. Um, and, and then you also look at these relationships. Um, and that sort of goes to the overall theme that we've been mentioning is North Carolina has recruited very well in Virginia, and they have now quite a number of recruits that are from the state that you know are friendly with Andre and with Zach Rice that we'll mention here in a moment. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's sort of that peer recruiting factor. We've seen it in North Carolina multiple times. We've seen you know you get enough guys that know each other. There's that sort of factor of we can all get together and build this team build this program and build you know this identity together I think that's as big a factor as anything is just with the commitment of George Petway specifically that's another guy there on offense that you know Andre Green Jr. can look at and say alright well I know that if I go to North Carolina we're likely still going to have a good, a good offense because there's George Petway right there that's going to you know, be a weapon in space, like we mentioned, is going to open up the passing game for me. So I think there's a lot going for North Carolina right now. With the lack of information, I don't know if I'm quite as comfortable as other people going with a distinct you know, statement that North Carolina is the leader. I, I think that there probably still is a little bit to go in this recruitment. But I think you have to like where the Tar Heels stand, and you have to you know, really feel good just based on all those factors that I mentioned. Yeah, I, I think that you made two really great points there that I think would have me believing that Carolina is in the lead right now. First of all, that, that last point that you made I think is spot on. Uh, he is the guy that has been on campus, has been very active on social media. Uh, you see him in just about every picture, video when he's on campus with the guys from the state of Virginia. Um, the one that, believe it or not, was kind of the outsider of that group was Petaway. You didn't really see a whole lot of that from him. He was in there occasionally. I know he got in there um, when they did a video at the cookout. But he isn't. He was the guy that was kind of the outsider of that group. Andre Green Jr. is the guy that every time he's on campus, it's usually with a group of guys from Virginia. Um, and now pretty much all those guys are there. It's pretty much him and Zach Rice that are hanging out, uh, waiting in, on their decisions. Um, but these guys are talking to a lot of these other commits pretty much every day. Uh, so I think that that's one thing that Carolina definitely has going their way. And then I think the other thing is, as you mentioned, and this is something that I think people that, you know, that that just look at star rankings and everything like that maybe don't understand, is that, yeah, the makeup of the Clemson roster right now really, really favors Carolina because 
that's the one thing that is very, very obvious about what's lacking in Clemson. I, I mean, look, they've, they've got to run the ball probably a little bit better because you're seeing a drop-off from ETN to a young group of running backs. But this is a team right now for Clemson that just cannot move the ball down the football field because they don't have that slot receiver, that Amari Rodgers, that Hunter Renfro, the guy that they've had all these years that has helped them be able to do that. And as you were mentioning, that guy's not currently on the roster, and he's not in the recruiting class either. He is not committed to their recruiting class as far as I see. They have got Adam Randall, who most people will remember him from uh, early in this recruiting cycle. Carolina was pursuing him uh, out of Myrtle Beach High School. He was, of course, the teammate of current Tar Heel receiver J.J. Jones. Um, He's not going anywhere. He's still going to be a part of their class. Other than that, they have an athlete in the class that is committed, but he's 6'2", 210. I don't think he's a guy that fits that mold as a slot receiver. So you honestly have to wonder. That's a team that is limited on the scholarships that they give out. They always have been. They're never a team that usually brings in big recruiting classes. That's one team you've got to wonder, will they be potentially trying to you know, either add a guy in this class that's in the slot, so they'll use the scholarship up there, or potentially save a scholarship for someone in the transfer portal. That's where I think this really favors Carolina. And one of the things that Carolina is still looking for is that guy on the outside. They're going to be looking for a red zone threat that can help them because at this point, we have no idea what's going on with Bo Corrales. Uh, he could, believe it or not, probably come back next year again. Um, I would be kind of shocked if that ends up happening because he's, of course, still trying to get back from the sports hernia surgery that has just caused him so much so much issue over the last uh, few months uh, following the injury when he suffered it uh, against Florida State almost a year ago now, believe it or not. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, the Carolina uh, there, there are some other guys that could present that sort of you know jump ball, bringing in 50-50 ball type receiver. Um, I think Kobe Paysauer is the one that they're eyeing up for that role. But Andre Green Jr., this is that's pretty much his entire role in high school is they throw the ball up to him, he goes up and gets it. So Carolina is going to be a lot more willing to give a scholarship to a guy that can do that, which at this point I wouldn't say is a dire need, but is something that they would look at and say is a need for this group uh, going forward. So I definitely think Carolina is in a pretty solid spot for him. And I think Carolina is doing a really good job so far with Zach Rice. He was on campus this past weekend for the game against Virginia. That one shouldn't really shock anybody because those are two of his top teams. Virginia has made, uh, you know, they, they've done their work in this recruitment to stay right in the thick of this. And they have a legitimate shot. It really looks like it's down to three. He hasn't made that official yet, but it really looks like it's down to North Carolina, Alabama, and Virginia. There was a little bit of heat with Alabama, uh, you know, back in, in late summer. I still think that that's, uh, you know, somewhere where he could possibly land, but I really feel like North Carolina and Virginia are the two teams that are battling the hardest for him right now, and it seems like from everything that I saw on his social media, he was pretty impressed by what he saw uh, at Carolina. And I think at this point, uh, I would probably have to put Carolina as the slight leader for him. What do you think on that one, Zach? 
I, I, I do have him as, as a slight uh, leader here, and I think I feel better about that position for Zach Rice than I do for Andre Green, and that is partly just because there are you know fewer competitors in the mix here at this point, or few legitimate competitors in the mix, I should say. Um, I, I, I think it's really going to come down to North Carolina and Virginia. Now, over you know the beginning of fall, we have heard sort of mixed reviews on North Carolina on, and on Virginia. Um, Zach has been sort of upfront about how his relationship with the uh, Virginia offensive line coach is probably a little bit better than his relationship with Stacey Searles, mm-hmm. uh, the offensive line coach in North Carolina. That's a factor here. Relationships are a factor here, but I think if you look at what North Carolina is selling in terms of um, the potential for development and the NFL down the road, the potential for uh, greater NIL opportunities at North at Carolina as compared to Virginia. I think you look at the concept of exposure. I mean, just in, in overall recruiting, and the University of Virginia is a very, very good team in the ACC, in my opinion. I think that it's a team that's continuously sort of outperforming their reputation. It's a team North Carolina's had trouble with up until this past year. Uh, But quite frankly, they're just not going to give you that exposure on the national stage that North Carolina can. Mm -hmm. Even as they are still emerging into that national stage, Virginia unfortunately just can't offer that based on um, the size of their program, their program sort of profile and brand. And um, I, I think that's what North Carolina can offer here. I, I do want to be somewhat hesitant on putting a ton of stock specifically in the North Carolina and Virginia game. At least I, I don't want to be overconfident in it. Uh, I, I think that it's, it's probably a bit um, overzealous to put a lot of stock just in one game on the football field because, you know, these are kids, but they are kids that understand that this is a decision that is you know, years and years in the making. Um, uh, people like to say that, you know, it's not a four-year decision, it's a 40-year decision. That's certainly a phrase that likes to be uh, used around North Carolina. Well, these kids know as well, it's not um, It's not a one-year decision, it's a four-year decision. It's sort of mm-hmm. turn that phrase a little bit. It's not just about where your team's going to be right now. It's, you know, the guys that you're going to be playing with. It's going to be, you know, if Zach Rice comes to North Carolina, he's not going to be playing with this Correct team. He's going to be playing with, you know, some of the young guys on campus and guys within his class. He's going to have, you know, maybe a Drake May or a Connor Harrell as his quarterback or Tad Hudson in the future even. So, you know, it, it, you sort of have to understand that these kids are also going to look at what what is the future trajectory of these programs. Um, with all that being said, if there is, you know, a specific recruitment that's going to sort of have something flip with a one-game outcome. It could be Zach Bryce's. We've seen this sort of go all over the place in terms of where he's leaning. We thought there'd be a summer decision. There was not. We thought, you know, maybe right before the season there was not. But it does seem like something that he would like to get out of the way. It's just been a difficult decision. It's hard to know all the factors going into it, um, but same with Andre Green. I feel like the sort of peer recruiting factor is big here. Um, I, it's big in Virginia as well, but I, I certainly think it's a factor here for North Carolina. Um, and with George Pet- Petway in the mix, I think that's just another name and another guy in his year to you know come build something great 
at North Carolina. Um, in terms of where this recruitment sits, I personally feel better about North Carolina after that game. Um, sort of a little bit going against my own logic of a, of a single game sample, but just he was there at the game. He saw it on the field. He saw how the offensive line for North Carolina performed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I don't think that's necessarily lost on him. Um, so, yeah, I feel good about saying that North Carolina likely has a, a slight lead um, in terms of how long this recruitment takes. I, it, it is my personal feeling, and this is more of a hunch than any sort of given knowledge. I think that this would likely be done um, within the next few weeks. I don't think it's going to drag out mm-hmm. right into you know December or the early signing period. I can't say 100%. Of course, we thought that this could end after his official visits in June or, you know, right before the start of the season and that didn't happen. So it's it's hard to really predict too much. But I, I, I do feel uh, good, I would say. Maybe not great, but certainly not um, as, as many questions as I've had in the past about Zach Rice and the potential for him committing to North Carolina. Yeah, I think the biggest thing to take away from his visit over the weekend, if, if you're looking at that, is not really the result on the field. I mean, it definitely helps when you go to a game and you see one team win over another team that uh, is, is one of your favorites in your recruitment. But I think the biggest thing for Carolina was their fan base did a really good job of – showing how excited they were to have a five-star on campus. There were multiple people that took pictures with him. There were multiple people that came up and talked to him. And that's the thing that I think probably excited him the most, at least from what I saw on social media, is that you know to go to a game and you think, okay, the focus is going to be, you know, people probably know I'm in the building. But a majority of those people are probably journalists or blog writers or, you know, the the diehard fans that are going to know that I'm here, but they're probably not going to worry about that. They're worried about beating a Virginia team that they haven't beaten in four years. Um, and, and, you know, they're probably more focused on guys like Sam Howell and Josh Downs and, you know, Cayman Rucker, Jaquarius Conley. Those types of guys are probably the guys they're most focused on. For people to stop and take pictures with him, uh, for people to stop and say hey to him and his family, everything like that, I think that's something that Carolina fans did a really good job of. And look, I think Virginia will probably have that opportunity at some point too. I would imagine he'll probably go to a game there. Um, But I like, again, like you said, the guys that are committed in this class from the state of Virginia will have an impact on this recruitment. I mean, Virginia's got a guy that's committed in their class that can help them. Them and his high school teammate Davis Lane, the quarterback. But I don't really know how much that's going to help because you've got so many other guys that he's made connections with outside of just school. You're, you're talking about some of the best from the area. Um, you're talking about guys that he's gone to camps with and guys that, honestly, he probably looks at and says, if I team up with these guys, this this could be something special. We could turn a team uh, into a national competitor, which is what the guys that are grouping up at Carolina right now seem to be thinking when they commit there. So uh, I definitely think there's an allure to go and play with some of the best from the state of Virginia there and some of you know the better players nationally. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll definitely see. Um, 
I'm a little more hesitant than you in terms of saying that he'll end up committing before the end of the season, his high school season, because we've seen this a, a couple of times now with him where we feel like we're getting close to a decision and we just don't get there. Um, I, I just, to me, unless there becomes some clear separation between Carolina and Virginia, I don't know if there will be a decision made before the early signing period deadline. I could be wrong. I hope I am. I think it would be better for Carolina, um, especially coming off of this past weekend, to get him locked up as quickly as they possibly could. But I think this is one of those ones where he could just kind of be bouncing back and forth. In his mind, he probably feels like, man, I do want to get this done. But at the same time, I don't know exactly where I want to go just yet. So I think this is one that could extend out a little bit and could go uh, to that early signing day. I think both him and Andre Green Jr. could be in that boat. And then really quickly, we'll touch on one other guy uh, that – Carolina sort of has seen move back onto the radar uh, after he was off there, off of there for a, a little bit, and that's Benji Gosnell. He's uh, of course a tight end prospect, uh, actually now out of the state of Virginia. He did transfer to the state of Virginia this year for his senior year of high school. Um, of course, you should recognize that last name. Current Tar Heel wide receiver Stephen Gosnell. That's his brother. Uh, he was committed to Ohio State. Uh, earlier on this summer, ended up decommitting, and now Carolina is pretty much locked in a battle with Virginia Tech. Now, this is the one matchup uh, or the one recruitment where Carolina does not have the advantage as of right now. A lot of people believe that Virginia Tech is the team in the lead, but I think especially with the emergence of a guy like uh, Kamori Morales. We've seen Garrett Walston since he, of course, struggled in the season opener against Virginia Tech. These last two games, he's made a couple of key catches, made a couple of key ones the other night against Virginia. We're seeing a little more involvement from the tight end spot. So you wonder if Carolina turns the heat up just a little bit to try to get a guy as special as Benji Gosnell at the position in there. Um, you know, What do you think about Gosnell? And do you think that this is someone that if he is you know, willing to come to Carolina, the Tar Heels should consider in this class, even though they're probably wanting to still have a relatively small class? I, th- I think it's a guy that they would at least consider. Um, I, I, I think that's a little difficult right now just because um, I'm not 100% sure that they know what position that he's going to play. And I don't know if his positional options are really ones that they have a huge need at. He's listed as a tight end, so you know that might be one of the first considerations. But if you look at the target roster in terms of you know what... Um, scholarship year each guy is at this is a, still a pretty young tight end room uh, it's one that they're not using multiple tight ends that often uh, they're really just using one at a time so it's not a position that you're you know rotating a ton of guys at uh, as compared to wide receiver or running back or something along those lines um, I've also heard inside or outside linebacker pitching us now but if you look at um where North Carolina has recruited at those positions in this cycle, they already have three guys that you probably consider to be outside linebackers or edge types. They already have two inside linebackers. Um, so they, they've kind of 
I, I don't know if they've 100 percent filled those positions, but they're 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 fairly full at both positions. So there's not a clear need that Benji Gosnell fills unless you just recruit him as you know we feel good about you as athlete. We'll figure out where you go when you get there, which could be an option. Um, as you mentioned, did uh, transfer to be in Virginia, being um, I believe from sort of the uh, Pilot Mountain area. That's not too far away. Mm-hmm. So that's that's not um, you know that's not too big of a, a move. And I think his family moved as well, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but closer to Virginia Tech, certainly. I think I feel I've sort of heard you know that they have a little bit of buzz right now. I think that they are pursuing him probably a little bit harder than North Carolina. Uh, personally, I would not be upset um, if they went and got him. They've certainly not been opposed um, to, you know, getting siblings or getting, you know, uh, the family members of former and current Targills. That's something that they like to do. Not that they're just giving those sort of opportunities out, you know, without merit. But it, it's something that you, you know, you like to see. It's a nice story, certainly from that aspect. And he's a good athlete. I mean, he was committed to Ohio State to play tight end. They had, uh, I would say, underratedly, some good tight ends, especially some good inline blocks for tight end position over the years. And, you know, that, that's something that North Carolina really likes to have often is have a tight end that can be sort of that sixth blocker and give the quarterback time to get the ball to your running backs or your wide receivers. So if they really, really, you know, want him, I think they can push and I think that they can make some, some noise in this recruitment. But, I, there's just not enough information for me for me to feel really confident, and the information that I'm that I am getting sort of leans more towards Virginia Tech at this time. Yeah, I think the the one thing that could have a little bit of an impact on how Carolina pursues this is whether or not they are going to add more scholarships. We have heard rumors that they could end up expanding rosters uh, over the next year or so. Uh, and if so, I think that would probably present a scenario where the Tar Heels would then try to turn up the heat. The thing is, is I don't know if they're going to have a clear answer on that uh, over the next couple of months. And I'm with you. I, I think tight end is probably where they would use him at the most if if they're wanting him to commit to them you pretty much have to recruit him as a tight end because we uh, there were some rumors that Clemson um, you know that when they hosted him for a visit basically told him we're going to use you at outside linebacker he wasn't happy about that and that's one of the reasons why the Tigers are no longer seeming to be a threat in his recruitment Um, I think one of the reasons he decommitted from Ohio State was that they were looking to possibly make him a linebacker in their class because they had, uh, I believe, at least one, if not two, other tight end commits in that class. So, I mean, look, I, I think the tight end is still a position where Carolina would probably welcome some talent, a little bit of competition there. I mean, Bryson Nesbitt is a guy we heard a lot about during fall camp, especially late on as he was starting to grow. Uh, and he's a guy that Carolina 
Carolina is probably going to use a lot over the next couple of years. I've liked what I've seen from Kamari Morales as well here early on in the season. I definitely think that he's a guy that's going to be the leader of that room the next couple of years while they still wait on Nesbitt to grow a little bit, and that'll probably be the guy that they'll have as the number two option there. But outside of that, we just don't know a whole lot about the rest of the group. Uh, John Copenhaver's a guy that I think is still kind of working his way up in terms of becoming a blocker, adding the weight that he needs to because of how thin he was coming out of high school and, and the fact that he was pretty much just uh, basically a slot receiver that played tight end at the high school level. And then Kendall Carr just can't get healthy. So I think that there's there's a chance that Carolina could look at him there. Um, linebacker, I'm with you on that one. I don't think there's any way that Carolina will seriously look at him at linebacker. I, I think they've got their edge guys that they want in this class. Uh, they're pretty loaded up there. And, and in terms of inside linebackers, I mean, maybe they give him a look there, but if they're bringing him in as a linebacker, I really feel like he's probably going to be looked as more at as more of a depth option than any, anything uh, coming out. If he ends up panning out as, as a guy that could start for you at some point, then great. But I think that Carolina would look at him and say that we're not looking at him as a guy that's going to play over Sebastian Cheeks, clearly. We're not looking at him as a guy that's probably going to play over Deuce Caldwell. So then that leaves you with a guy that, you know, is probably a depth guy at best. So I think you're right. I think Carolina will definitely look at it because it's a guy that has a relative on the team. He's a four-star prospect, so he's a heck of a player. Um, But I think that in the end, uh, because of how much of a need this is uh, based really, you know, based on on the position and based on the fact that they just need sheer talent in their recruiting class. It probably favors Virginia Tech at this point. Other than that. Not really a whole lot going on. One guy that I think we thought we might hear more about when Carolina offered him uh, late in the summer was Will Hardy, uh, the athlete out of Greater Atlanta Christian down uh, in uh, just outside of Atlanta uh, in Georgia. He, of course, is committed to Virginia, but we haven't really heard a whole lot about him. They kind of offered him, and then that recruitment got a little bit quiet. Um, That was looked at as a guy that Carolina could potentially take on at safety uh, once they missed on Jake Pope. But the thing about Jake Pope's commitment is that that one is one that was made, but some people think it's still not over just yet. Not a ton of smoke on that side. I think right now he's still probably pretty solidly committed to Alabama. But I think it's one where Carolina is still sort of keeping in contact, still holding out a little bit of hope maybe that they can make a last-second push and try to flip them. So I wonder if that's probably part of the reason why there isn't a ton of focus on Will Hardy at this point. And other than that, that's pretty much it. Carolina really doesn't have any other major offers out there that um, guys are considering. A lot of the you know guys that Carolina may have offered and that is are, are still on committed uh, are pretty much looking elsewhere. Um, and then the guys that uh, Carolina may potentially be trying to flip, I don't think there's really that many of them at all. I, I really think that they're pretty set with the guys that they have, the uncommitted guys that are out there, and uh, maybe a guy like Will Hardy uh, and, and Jake Pope that they could be looking at at the safety position. Other than that, it feels like they're, uh, they're, they're pretty locked up. So I think this group's going to come in somewhere around probably 
probably 16. I think at the max, it would probably be 17 because I wouldn't be shocked if in the late window, uh, they do try to go after probably another defensive back. <laughs> if they end up you know, not getting Pope, uh, not getting Hardy, I could see safety being a spot that they go out. Uh, believe it or not, I could see corner again. I, I know that they have recruited the heck out of that position over the last couple of years, um, but I definitely feel like that's a position that is m much easier to recruit than a lot of the other positions in terms of jumping into a recruitment late, being able to show exactly what your scheme can do for guys, and and finding a guy that fits pretty quickly instead of having to you know go and look. I mean, when you go through offense and defensive linemen, I feel like it's a lot tougher to jump on those guys late as opposed to some of the skill position players on both sides of the ball. So we'll see. We'll have you covered over on the website, heeltoughblog.com. Make sure you guys check out the website right now. George Petaway uh, article up there. Uh, we go down, go through, break down what type of player uh, Carolina is getting in him. Go a little bit more in depth on exactly what me and Zach were just talking about here uh, You know, a, a little while ago with Petaway. So make sure you go and check that out. It's a really great read for you guys. And, uh, you know, we're going to have you covered with uh, all the stuff around Zach Rice, Andre Green Jr., Benji guys. Now all those guys here over the next couple of months as we close in, believe it or not, about two months away now, a little over two months away from the early signing period, actually about two and a half months, but still it's going to come a lot quicker than you realize. Uh, Carolina is uh, still hunting for some really big pieces uh, in this class, which is coming together nicely, though, and is currently ranked inside of the top 15 nationally. So we'll have you covered on all those fronts. Of course, we'll keep you covered on uh, what's going on with the Tarios on the football field. The team's 2-1. and one. There was a lot of overreaction after the loss week one to Virginia Tech, but Carolina right now probably feels pretty confident confident with where they're at, uh, especially with a really strong performance against Virginia, taking down the Cavaliers, who may be the second best team in the Coastal as of right now. Now Carolina will look to continue their offensive success when they go on the road against Georgia Tech. We've got all that stuff for you on the website right now. Uh, we got the preview up there. We'll have the recap, the trench report, and the stock report uh, as we go throughout the weekend and into the early part of next week. And then, of course, we'll turn Turn around and do the same things for you guys for the Duke game and forward as Carolina tries to string together uh, a nice win streak here before they, of course, get uh, to that back-to-back uh, -back in the middle of the schedule that everybody was circling early on in the season of Miami and Notre Dame. And we'll have you covered on all those fronts over on the website. Josh has you covered with all the basketball stuff as Carolina basketball closing in on the start of practice. And believe it or not, with them a little over a month away from the start of the first year under Hubert Davis's direction. It's going to be an exciting year. And we'll have you covered with all that stuff over there on the website and on the Four Corners podcast. Make sure that you guys on the uh, whatever podcast podcast app. If you're listening, you subscribe to both the Heel Tough Blog podcast, which you're listening to here, and the Four Corners podcast, which you can listen to for all of our basketball coverage. Uh, we've got great stuff.
stuff going on there as we get prepared for the season on the basketball side of things. Um, and still a lot of recruiting news that's going on there. Football, we're doing the same things, previewing games, recapping games as we always have done. And we have these great additions of the podcast that we'll sprinkle in there as well, trying to work on potentially getting uh, a weekly guest as well going forward uh, of the former Tar Heel variety. Uh, that's something that I'm still working on. Don't know if that'll happen this year, but hopefully uh, that'll happen sometime in the near future. You can also now listen to the podcast on Megaphone as well. That's our new hosting site. Uh, thanks to the Pigskin Podcast Network, which is another area that you can listen to it. If you're wondering why we had that DraftKings ad in the middle there, that DraftKings read, it's because uh, we are working with them now and they have been uh, so gracious to us and have done a great job of also attaining uh, that sponsorship from DraftKings. So we are extremely excited that uh, we you know have everything going with that now uh, and we really thank you guys because you got us into this position to be able to get on some of these bigger networks and be able to start profiting just a little bit off of what we're doing here uh, on the podcasting side of things. So we greatly appreciate that from you guys. Um, and you know, when, when it comes to where you can find all of the stuff in one central location, it is the social media pages. Go to Facebook at Heel Tough Blog on Facebook. Uh, we have, of course, the uh, video editions of the podcast that we do uh, during the season for uh, the previews and the recaps. We have those going on right now. So make sure that you guys are tuning into those. Right now, the recaps are going to be live. The previews will not be, so it'll be Monday nights at 6 o'clock. We'll recap the previous game uh, for Carolina uh, before we then look ahead midweek uh, to the game uh, that will be played the next weekend. Uh, so make sure that you guys are checking that out going out th- going throughout the rest of the season. And we also have the articles that are posted on that Facebook page as well as the audio editions of the podcast that you guys can check out. Over on the Twitter side of things, at Heel Tough Blog is where you can find the official Twitter page. And then if you want to go to our personal accounts where we do post a ton about the Tar Heels, um, go maybe even a little more in-depth than we do on the blog side of things, uh, you, you can check us out. Me, at HTB Anthony, uh, Josh, at HTB Josh, and Zach Hubbard, at HackZubbard2 uh, on Twitter. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Want to thank Zach for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels.